welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and how a lovely sunbeam through your office window is great until it makes impossible to ignore how filthy your monitor is. Mm. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Cannonball competitions are woefully underutilized team building exercises. <sighs> Today on the show, we're talking with Corey Quinn, cloud economist at the Duckbill Group, but you may know him better as the author of The Last Week in AWS Newsletter. Uh, welcome to the show, Corey. Welcome. Thank you. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. You may also know me from Twitter, where I spend my time shitposting with style. Oh, I know someone else like that. Um, I feel so... like with style is a strong <laughs> way to describe your shitposting. I posting. didn't say it was good style. It is a style. <laughs> A style is a style. A style for sure. That's that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, before we go off the deep end right away, uh, please tell us about your path to leadership. Uh, start wherever you'd like, and let us know how you got to where you are now. And we're going to interrupt I, you constantly. Just FYI. Good, good, good. I firmly believe that leaders are like eagles, and that we don't have any of them here. I was spent <laughs> a lot of time as an angry Unix sysadmin, which is the only kind of Unix sysadmin you're likely to find, True. and became a manager on and off for years before striking out on my own. Uh, and something I learned as I went down that path was that all I needed to do to be a decent manager was do the exact opposite of the chuckle fox who managed me. And it got me surprisingly far in life. You'd think that would be nowhere near necessary, but not sufficient. No, it gets you way further than that. So <laughs> I had enough of managing people, struck out on my own. That was three years ago. We are now six people. I find myself inadvertently managing people more than I expected oh, no. to. And just when I thought I was out, they dragged me back in. So, well, so back up and give us, give us some, uh, some nitty gritty about some of those details. You, you, where, where were you a sysadmin? What kind, I mean, did you have an MCSE? Like how far back does this go? Um, Oh no, I was a grumpy Unix sysadmin. Uh, No, I understood that. Microsoft uh, dance, my God. You didn't. Did you never have to touch Microsoft? Did you, did you just you, have you to insult him Microsoft right out of the gate? Not since 2006 when I was uh, dealing with Windows and anger in, in seriousness. The podcast title here is called Authority Issues. I had those in spades. I was so angry at having to deal with so much time and energy and I guess nonsense around the joy of licensing and managing those licenses. I swore I'd never do it again. And now from 2020, I think I did a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, you've got, you've you said, you know, you 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 your management style is based on doing the opposite of what happened to you. I wouldn't say that how you were managed. Perhaps it was just happening to you, as you came up through the ranks. Uh, and a lot of people aren't willing to talk about that. But can you give us some examples of things you're you're like distinctly opposed to based on experience? Oh my God, what I. The hard part is getting me to stop telling stories when it comes to things like this. Oh, you shouldn't go and complain about your past. Hell with that. That's how I got who I am. I have no one to blame but these people. So, yeah, it's time to dish. My, I guess my personal least favorite manager was a guy. And for some reason, it's always a guy. I couldn't tell you mm. why that might be. Uh who didn't seem to realize that managing people required a certain level of impedance matching. You, as a manager, in my belief, you need to be able to match your feedback to wherever the person you're managing needs you to say it. And I I was not shy about this. 
tell me what I'm doing. Tell me directly what's good and what's bad. And his approach instead was to speak only in his first language, which was glorious metaphor. So I don't tend to deal with nuance super well. I'm a direct (laughs) creature. So, well, okay, should I be spending more or less time on what I'm doing? As the snake rushes through the grass, the wind howls through the willows. That's awesome. Should I spend more time doing this task or the other thing? And I never knew where I stood. And invariably, (laughs) I was a terrible employee because eventually one day you wind up being called into a room and someone from HR is there who you never met before and they Mm -hmm. don't offer you coffee. When you're dragged into the meeting and they don't offer you coffee, you know it's not a good meeting. And that thing scars. And I've had conversations with all of my employees about this. Everyone has a story like that to the point where we have a standing rule as a distributed team where, hey, can we talk in half an hour? I need to talk to you about something. And then vanishing. We don't do that because everyone feels terrible about that. 99 times out of 100, it's not a big deal. That 100th time, surprise, you're fired. Bad news. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is definitely a tip that we hear a fair amount, not necessarily on the show, but in general. Like, if you if you're the boss and you have to set up a meeting with someone to talk about something, there's tell a them power imbalance yeah, there, and exactly. you need to be cognizant of that. The weird thing is, is with my business partner, neither he nor I can fire each other. We know we've tried, and <laughs> we still say this to each other: of we need to talk. It's, excuse me. That's not okay. We call each other out on it constantly because it's easy to do unintentionally. I don't believe that most managers are bad people, except for a couple who I'm not going to name, but they're not doing this to be malignant. They're doing it just because it's, they don't understand how what they say carries weight that they don't necessarily intend it to carry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Absolutely. So, well, I want to ask, so you've, you've, you've been systems engineer, and you've been, uh, you know, in leadership roles throughout. What, what's, what's different about being in a leadership role at a larger company versus uh, running your own gig uh, with a partner? Scope. Uh, one of the things that I've learned is that the larger the company is, the more narrowly defined your remit becomes. Conversely, the higher you rise within an organization, the fewer options you have and the less you can actually achieve things directly. For example, you take a look at, an, at a high-level exec at most companies, all they can really do is influence and cajole. They, they don't sit down and bust out a system themselves that solves the problem. They have to inspire, encourage, and one way or another, they're on the hook for delivery, but they have less and less actual control over what that delivery looks like. Well, they're not supposed to anyway, right? That a lot, One sort of anti-pattern in leadership is when someone's like, forget it, I'll just do it myself. Seagull management where they just slap on in, sit there, crap all over everything. You obviously write better code when I'm sitting there right over your shoulder saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Like the six-year-old project hell. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's true. And typically the technology that they're used to dealing with is a few years behind. So whatever they're producing is – not really up to snuff. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, familiar I've with that. I've gotten surprisingly far with managing people in just the way that I want to be managed myself. And that is, give me enough rope with which to hang myself. Usually <laughs> metaphorically, but it happens. And What a metaphor. <laughs> exactly. It's because here's the thing. People live up or down to whatever level you tend to have for expectation of them. And <laughs> if you're not prepared to let them show you what they can do, you may as well just do the work yourself. 
Yeah. Do you think, so going back to a thing that you uh, you mentioned before about this idea that you like to be directly interacted with, right? And in the case of being managed, you want your manager not to speak in metaphors, but to tell you exactly what they expect of you and how you're performing. Do you think that, uh, and this is coming from uh, like listening to a lot of people talk about their relationship with authority, they're uncomfortable with authority. Do you think that's why people tend to not directly tell people what to do or directly give them information about their performance? I don't necessarily know if that's where it comes from. I do know that the result is disastrous. When mm. people ask you very directly, is what I'm doing good or is what I'm doing bad from your perspective? You, you owe them, at least from where I sit, the, ver the, the courtesy of letting them know. When someone says, I need to be informed that I'm either doing things very well or very poorly, please weigh in on this. I, mm -hmm. I'm expensive to manage. I know that. I don't think most people should manage me. And I, I would not wish myself on other folks. I understand in a way that I never did until running my own company. I am a terrible goddamn employee. <laughs> I mean, do you think that people, <laughs> do you think that people uh, then maybe have difficulty answering direct questions about how someone else's performance because they're somehow feeling like, well, if I say they're doing super well, then this person's going to turn around and immediately ask for a raise or a promotion that kind of stuff. That, Maybe, that is but that's a different kind of path. management too. I mean, there also has to be the right context. I really would like to know, am I doing well or do I need to focus on areas for improvement? Well, Corey, I'm going to start by saying that's not really an appropriate thing. That's not really what we mean when we say, does anyone have any questions here in this all hands meeting? But good attempt, <laughs> good attempt. That, you, there needs to be the right context for those conversations. Mm -hmm. yeah, but, yeah, but, but as the wind blows across the... Uh, the the breezy plains or whatever it was you said the uh which which i'm realizing how sharp of a right turn i made before before i i addressed some of this and and rachel thanks for bringing it back but the um so you're not super indirect now as a manager i mean are there other things like that uh, the oh absolutely the interesting thing uh, well, go ahead. Well, I'm that. using this as an example. I'm not saying that everyone needs to be direct and punch people in the face at all times. It's about impedance sure. matching. Some people, if you wind up saying, okay, honestly, we think the way that you delivered that uh, project was haphazard and could have been a lot better. I personally will respond super well to feedback like that, and I'll strive to improve. Other people walk around devastated for two weeks when you give them feedback that's that direct. You mm -hmm. have to match with where people are. To a point. At some point when someone's not meeting expectations, you can't necessarily tiptoe around that all the time. Yeah. But that doesn't give you license to be inhumane. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. As, as we've discussed on the show, it also doesn't necessarily scale to tailor your interactions and, and management style oh, when you have a ton of people. skill. It's, are you used to yeah. dealing with enterprise sales teams? You mean mm -hmm. Steve? I mean, dealing with large organizations versus small ones, there's always going to be a strong difference and approach to solving problems collaboratively. I mean, one of the reasons that I found that running my own company as an independent for a few years was everything went to me. And there, I learned there are things I never want to do again. And, <laughs> con and conversely, there are things I love doing that I would struggle to fit into a typical uh, employee role if I were to ever go work for someone else again. Mm -hmm. Have you grown to a point where you can hire people to take away all the things that you don't like? 
Uh, not all of them. I mean, I still have to talk to you, Kendall, but for the most part, absolutely. <laughs> Glad to be excluded from that. I was going to say suburban, but I actually think I think I think maybe Corey not wanting to talk to you is more of a um, badge of honor, uh, Rachel. Than feedback than is a gift, Kendall. <laughs> and I give him a gr- and I give him that gift right in his stupid, condescending face. He loves it. Just, just. You guys are adorable. <laughs> I, I would like the record to show that while we record this as just an audio podcast, we do have video on, except Corey hasn't turned his on. So he can he can uh, put that in my condescending face. You he didn't might be pay way more the condescending premium to right get now. me on video. I'm and telling you about this. Yeah. Don't, when you're good at something, don't do it for free, Kendall. Don't do it for free. But you, you've told me you had a face made for radio. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just keeping it, just keeping it that Running way. Out, give the peoples what they ask for. That's, so that's right. that's let, let me try and get this back on the rails a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy being off the rails to some degree. So, you know, let's not get too serious. But um, I am sure that you have a good answer to this. What has been the most embarrassing or most difficult lesson you've had to learn about management uh, since you have made the decision to, you know, basically not copy anything that your previous managers have done? That's a great one. The one of the things that I think surprised me the most was I was expecting that this would be completely the wrong lesson to take. And I would come back with a greater sense of empathy for the what I perceived to be terrible managers I'd had in the past. Nope. They were freaking awful. Uh, there are exceptions, and I like taking the opportunity to call them out. Uh, Shane Garou, currently general manager at uh, Everbridge down in Pasadena. Last time I checked, they were still in Pasadena. What is a shining example of one of the best managers I ever had. And I didn't really appreciate what his approach to management was while I was working for him. So I, I periodically like to call him out as the example of leadership in crisis, where I wound up causing some significant outages because surprise, it turns out earlier in my career, I wasn't good at everything. Who knew? What? And and he viewed this as the learning experience that it was rather than and stay out until I started this company. That was the longest I'd ever stayed at a single job. And working with him was a pleasure and a joy. I So for clarity, that, yes. today you are good at every single thing you do. Uh, according to my marketing team, yes. Okay, okay. Sorry, continue. <laughs> If I'm not that good at it, I try not to do it anymore. <laughs> now, the the, hum, the management is always a humbling experience because no two people are necessarily alike. And realizing that not everyone has the same incentives and motivation that I do, uh, some of the things that made me a difficult person to manage objectively did make me a terrible employee. Uh, one of the reasons I'm an effective consultant is that once I solve the interesting problems that I like diving into, I start looking for more problems to solve. As a consultant, that means that I have now completed the project and I go move on somewhere else. As an employee, it means that now I'm going to go yell at Jordan in the next org about how badly they're running their org now that my org has gotten cleaned up a little bit. And Ooh. that becomes a problem. And yeah. Yeah, realizing yeah. that I was the root cause of a lot of my own misery, my own misery was not a fun experience to get to see it. it cast a very harsh light on now seeing myself through the eyes of someone that has to manage folks that are at times not too dissimilar from that has absolutely been a humbling experience oh yeah so wait so so let me summarize that back for you the 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 hard or embarrassing lesson you've learned to get here is realizing that the problems were you 
Some of them, not all of them, mind you. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that I was not the genius who had it figured out that the early 20s me would have con would have been absolutely convinced that he was who knew just another <laughs> brilliant asshole and now yeah, that my mid to late 20s i have a different perspective <laughs> how old were you when you when you came to this realization uh how long have we been recording now no it, it took me um until my mid-30s before i really started to figure out what was going on and yeah. huh wow it turns if you if, what's the old adage if you get up and um, meet an asshole in the morning well oh, great you made an asshole you meet assholes all day maybe you're the asshole and yeah. increasingly I realized that I was the own root cause of my own misery yeah yeah and so you you had this this manager who you named who uh, how how did they how did that person react to you, you said you caused a bunch of outages uh, and not, you were surprised well, clear, to not one find yourself. Yeah. One, oh, big just expense, one, big one? one big expensive okay. outage. Uh, it was a it was a team effort, really, where other people set a landmine up for me to stumble into blindly. But it was great. And at the end of it, we lost some production data. And it was one of those two days later, come into my office and shut the door moments. It's, oh, here's how I get fired. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what happened? Cool. Uh, what are you doing to make sure this never happens again? And I told him, the I went through the list with him. And he said, great. Just wanted to let you know that uh, that we're really happy with what you're doing. Keep it going. This is part of this is part of growing up is a, the less he said we're a much less condescending form of that and it really left an impact it's because if everything goes well well it turns out yeah any jackass can manage a team that's doing super well the best yeah. of time it's when things get hard we start to see where people are made of and it, mm -hmm. it effectively patterning myself after a lot of what he did was really what's steered me through times of crisis yeah and this, this dude's interested in outcomes yeah, we had someone here share once that uh, in a crisis, the calmest person in the room is the leader. And that's kind of stuck in my head. And uh, a person that, that was able to go through that crisis and be calm with you and respond calmly as opposed to screaming and throwing chairs across the room uh, had an impact on you. Yeah. Um, it's always talking to people who've come from real stressful jobs. That In an office environment, we don't see it quite the same way. It's, yeah, I used to be in the military or I used to work in a hospital yeah. emergency room. Not for nothing here at this company, we sell ads. So realistically, there are no emergencies in the context of people are going to die. It's, they're merely curiosities. Yeah. Not yeah. Really I love that approach. Them. Like it's, nobody's going to die here. No little kids, nothing. So, uh, you know, orient your level of priority appropriately. Definitely. Well, I did. I did meet a group of sysadmins that keep up the local nine one one call center, and I remember feeling like, "Oh, you you do have a different level of pressure because if you do mess up your job, people do die." Yeah, um, I'm a cloud economist but, uh, as a consultant. Uh, not at the end of the day, it's only money, which is not generally a philosophy people like having it repeated back to them. But it's true. <laughs> it's you tell it's, us. Yeah. Go ahead, finish your thought. I'm sorry. No, no, it's it's only money. And fundamentally, that's what we have contracts, lawyers, and business insurance for. No one is going to die because of an AWS bill that has run amok. Yep. Mm, yep. I don't know, heart attacks, well, but anyway, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, thus, <laughs> thus far. Um, so so tell us tell us what it means that you're a cloud economist. Uh, I know what you do, but uh, for people who are listening and don't know what you do, and is it at the uh, macro level or the micro level? Do you- Well, how um, big is your bill, Kendall? Well, how big it's it's across four clouds. That's really the big question: is is how many clouds can you cover? No, I, I I'm I'm curious what what it what it actually looks like that you do cloud e economies. 
Sure, cloud economy to right. scale or whatnot. Yes, right now our customers are almost purely on AWS. There's a bit of dabbling here and there of the rest, but the big expensive problems that lend itself to a focused study of a single provider, the, the big problems are always on the same AWS types of environments. For three years now, I've been able to focus almost exclusively on seeing interesting billing impacts across the board and weird expressions of architecture. It's sort of a backdoor play into systems architecture mixed with some interesting contract negotiation dances mixed with, okay, it's really interesting in this one environment and I'll spend two weeks digging into it. Well, these patterns repeat. So you go to a second cloud environment where they're saying, our AWS bill is too high. The pattern emerges. You say it's this, this, and this, and you look like a wizard from the future. Nope, it's just pattern yeah. matching, but it's a problem that doesn't lend itself to being solved by internal teams in quite the same way. And then, and then you've so uh, let me let me ask a, a few things about this career progression related to this, and and then your current problems now. So you you go from sysadmin to you know you you're writing this um, this newsletter last week in AWS, which was kind of the kickoff point for you starting your own thing and being independently. Uh, employed, and then the cloud economy stuff, where you're, um, you know, helping manage bills, et cetera. Is that an appropriate description of sort of the progression there? First of all, not exactly. Uh, it started off as I wanted to go and consult around a specific bounded problem that I could master based upon the skill set I brought to the table. I didn't ever want to have to bill by the hour, and I didn't want to wind up finding myself having to write code. So, what could I do that would lend itself to this sort of problem? Well, the AWS bill was something everyone complained about. I thought there might be a market here. Spoiler, there was. And after that, what really made this whole thing resonate that really put me into the public eye, so to speak, was, okay, I'm tracking more or less everything AWS does on an ongoing, consistent basis. So maybe other people would find this useful too. So I started publishing the newsletter and figured people would tell me to sit down and shut up because there were some other resources I should be paying attention to instead. No, 550 people signed up for the first issue. And now at the time of this recording, we're approaching 17,000. And it continues to grow, continues to resonate. And a couple months go by and a company shows up. I think they were some uh, Tinder for pets company, Date a Dog. And they said, we love what you're doing. Can we sponsor your newsletter? Well, can you give me money to talk about you? Well, of course you could give me money. How much money? And just like that, I accidentally built a media property. I then mm -hmm. parlayed that into podcasts as well, because it turns out people love the dulcet tones of my voice. And it's a toss-up these days whether people are more aware of various different branding aspects of what I do, but are completely unaware of others. So different audiences, different ways of combining uh, my original uh, first language, which is, of course, sarcasm, and applying it to a space that without a sense of humor, let's face it, it would be very boring. Well, well, so that's a little bit where I'm going with this is I, I remember um, at an event in San Francisco where where you were there and I had a friend who wasn't in the tech industry and I was uh, telling him going around the table and saying, this is so-and-so, this is what they do, this is so-and-so, this is what they do. And I got to you and you hadn't yet started uh, the Duckbill Group. And I remember saying, and that Corey is, and pausing, a personality. And like, how, how does a person... Uh, you know, there's, there's, I saw an article that said, uh, in the 2020s, 
there will be influencer IPOs. I didn't read the article. I don't know if they're full of shit or not. Uh, but here you are, a person who has built a uh, a brand around yourself. You are an influencer. I'm going to put that in quotes, air quotes. Or call me a quinfluencer, uh, which is how I think of it privately. Dun, dun, that's, dun. Hashtag quinfluencer. I, I recently got a trombone just so I can go womp, womp, womp in situations like this. But it's. I bet that's a subtle seven. thing to bring into meetings. Um, God. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, like, you know, you 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 parlay this into a gig where you're, you know, making money off this and now growing a company around it. Like, what does it look like to be a leader in this situation? What kinds of problems are you dealing with today as the result of building a media company around a personality? This was there all are, up to this it, of course. It gives and it takes at the same time. On the one hand. Now that it is not just me anymore, I am acutely aware of the fact that everything I say has the potential to impact other people's uh, lifestyle, careers, etc. On the other, unlike every time in history when I was employed somewhere and told that my personality was a detriment, it was holding me back professionally, it was not appropriate times to be cracking those kind of jokes – well, yes, you're right when you insult the other product team like that, but you're not supposed to say that at their outside voice, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's become something that I figured, well, what if I leaned into it just once and saw how it worked? Worst case, I can always start going by middle name again if uh, the name Corey Quinn becomes mud. And instead it worked. And now I've gotten to a point where I cannot be fired for what I'm doing. We have no customers, more than 20% of revenue. So there would have to be either something systemic or I would have to turn myself into a pariah. And my mode of engagement is not the sort where I'm going to start saying deeply problematic things that would make me toxic to associate with. Uh, sure, if you work in Oracle Legal, you're probably not my biggest fan, but that's okay. You people don't have souls anyway. So... It's okay. There are people who are going to find that my sense of humor resonates and people who find it off-putting. But by and large, I'm incredibly privileged in that I get to do business by and large with people who align with my view of the world. Now, so, there was a – oh, go ahead, Kendall. You have more questions well, along this line. So let me just – I'm sorry. Yeah, let me just finish that line of questioning and then go for it, Rachel. But So so that's all the things that have worked right as a result of this. Sure. What's what's the pain at the root of this? What what kind of issue do you have? You know, I, I don't know. What's what's a leadership issue you're dealing with right now? And maybe it's not related to any of this. The big question was just that there was never anyone to talk to and say, am I doing the right thing? Because it hadn't been done before. Not like this. I still hmm. don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I know that the metrics I'm tracking are up and to the right. But Am I doing what I should be doing? I don't know. The painful part for me was before this where I was strongly convinced that I was a fuck up and that there was never going to be anything I would find to do for myself that would have left me feeling happy and fulfilled. For better or worse, I have found my way out of that trap. But yeah. God, that was painful. And uh, the, the constant questioning of, is this going to work out? But starting your own company from scratch and bootstrapping in San Francisco with technical skills, the hard part is not the, I could starve to death here. It's the constant knowing that, oh, if it's a Wednesday afternoon, I could be employed at some tech company by Friday and make three times more money than I was in the early years doing this. And it doesn't need to be this hard. There's always that siren song of go work somewhere else for someone else and it'll be easier. Mm -hmm. I yeah. successfully avoided that temptation, but there were times I was seriously questioning whether it was the right move. Yeah. So you are, you're 
you know, you, you're saying I'm, you're still not 100% sure what you're doing is the right thing. And what is a measure of that? Are you talking about the right thing in terms of, you know, world peace and, and uh, you know, and making other people happy in the world? Or is it more like this is what fits you? What what um, do you mean by the right thing? Something that does keep me up a fair bit is, in case you hadn't noticed, I make fun of AWS kind of a lot. And now I wind – at the time of this recording, I have just shy of 25,000 Twitter followers, which means every time I dash off something random there, an mm -hmm. awful lot of people are reading it. And that audience size carries weight that I didn't necessarily anticipate. When it's just me talking with my friends, it's, it's funny. But when someone works – for 18 months, nights, weekends, et cetera, to build a service and release it. And the first thing I do is call it crappy. That doesn't feel too good. So uh -huh. I try not to punch down and make people feel bad. I don't always succeed. And there are times I don't care. Like if you wound up working 18 months, nights and weekends to build something that you decided to name systems manager, session manager, maybe you should feel bad. But that's sort of the edge case rarity. Yeah, or should I at love least the idea fight that, marketing a little harder. <laughs> I yeah. love the idea that you know saying bad things about AWS might be punching down for you at this point. I'm well. Uh, these, are small, these are small teams, and these are engineers and product managers and marketers and the rest who work incredibly hard. And it turns out to have someone with a large following crap all over it, even though that is their their brand, is not a great feeling. So mm -hmm. I've had an increased number of conversations with the people who are building these services over the years, and I. Think I've landed somewhere reasonably decent. I mock corporate speak wherever I can. I don't generally cut at the heart of products unless they desperately deserve it. And I think it's resonating in a way that is appreciated by the recipients of my sarcasm. But that's the mm -hmm. thing with an audience this size, you never know for sure. Yeah. And you, it, one of the things it sounds like you're doing uh, in order to strike the right balance in terms of punching up versus punching down is to understand more about what it is and those people do and how they do their job, what constraints they're under, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. I love when people reach out and tell me I got it wrong. The worst th thing that I can, that I can imagine that caused me to lose sleep over it is people feeling crappy and not saying something. Mm -hmm. yeah, if yeah. I want Have people to feel crappy all the time, I'd be a different kind of parent for starters, but I would also <laughs> a be kind of a consultant. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. The McKinsey You're consultant from hell. Wrong. Here I come. So I want to I want to move onward from this uh, a little bit and and ask you. So, you know, you've you've progressed as a leader and as a manager. You've made some pretty specific and and, uh, you know, unique decisions about what how you're going to behave and how you're going to treat people and yourself. What do you think is your strongest or best characteristic as a leader? I always thought it was just what people did or it stemmed from a lack of self, but feedback I've gotten throughout most of my career is that when I'm presented with critical feedback, I listen carefully and I internalize it. And if I agree with it, I will alter my behavior to account for it. And I always thought that's what decent people did. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but increasingly I'm starting to see that that is more rare than I gave it credit for being. Okay. Yeah, I've I've seen you take very critical feedback and consider it and change your action as a result, actually. And I, I, I was, I think, even surprised in the moment when that happened. Um, but uh, you had just an entire fire extinguisher onto me, Kendall. So, you know, realistically, <laughs> it was, had I was just going to say the, the, the feedback was not from me. It was from someone else. I just happened to be present when it was being given. But um, OK, that's I, I think that's a good I think you're right that it is more rare. It's it's rarer than it should be. It's kind of depressing that it's rare at all. 
but uh, oh, you're I giving me critical probably... feedback first. Fuck you. I mean, there is a yeah. natural flair of defensiveness that I think everyone experiences. It's not a helpful response, and I've learned to suppress it or at least suspend it. It's like, okay, I need to walk that one off a little bit, and you don't need to respond right away. It's feedback is a gift. But in order for me to internalize that, I have to at least respect that it's coming from a good place. And I yeah. have to respect the person it's coming from at least a little. Well, you're my boss and therefore I have feedback. It's yeah. Feedback is an opinion. That's really all that it fundamentally is. And yeah, you probably should care more about the opinion of someone who's empowered to fire you than I generally tend to. But there's also that fact that just because my boss believes a thing does not make it gospel truth. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, so then, I mean, uh, can I move on, Rachel? Or did you have another follow-up question to that? Um, so this is this is authority issues, Corey, and we ask everybody, you know, what is what is your relationship with authority? How do you feel about having authority over others now, particularly as the company's grown? You've been a director in the past. Uh, how do you feel about others having authority over you? Um, just talk about your relationship with authority. Uh, oppositional defiant is the short answer. It's I, I tend to not do super well when I feel constrained, and for better or worse, I was I was a difficult child. In case that wasn't clear to anyone who has ever met me for more than a passing few seconds, <laughs> but. In time, I've come to realize that not every fight is necessarily worth having. Um, I still, for example, see every time I go through a customs checkpoint or mm -hmm. an airport security line or have to wait and talk to a bouncer to get into someplace. Uh, what the hell kind of offices are you going to? Good question. I have stories. And I find that that I, I have learned to suppress that or at least um, bottle it up inside and then take out my rage later on Twitter. But that's still something I struggle with. That's still something that I don't love about myself. It's part and parcel of who I am, and I don't think I can necessarily change it. But you can't let your, I guess, your worst qualities drive and define who you are. Well, I don't think that necessarily disliking having a knee-jerk bad reaction to authority is 100% a negative quality. I think it's, it it's does when you combine classic. it with my other negative qualities. Like I have absolutely no filter and my first language is sarcasm. And mm -hmm. oh, by the way, you're mouthing off to a cop now at two in the morning. That's not going to go super well. Now, is super it? Oh, by the yeah. way, you're in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, it does not go well. Sometimes mm -hmm. shut up and take the L. That's yeah. well, I think that's the lesson I've struggled learning my entire life. Yeah, I mean, there's something too, though. I think that our reaction to those things grows. Like, I know a a very strong reaction that I have is to like uh, teenage lifeguards that are telling me, you know, you you can't get in the pool from that side, or oh no, you're not supposed to jump in right here, or you know, whatever the like living by the letter of this law where it's like, look, we make these rules to protect people. This is not a thing you have to care about. And I think there's some amount of when you've been in a position of authority, then you start to understand what are the rules? Why are they there? What are they there to serve? And let's look at some of the heart behind some of this rather than And there's uh, no I'm upside. I mean, best case is good work. Yes. As a middle-aged man, I can make a 16-year-old cry if I say something nasty. <laughs> but maybe that makes me a bit of a jerk to the rest of the parents at the pool. Mm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, you can always take a selfie with that person and at them and ruin their lives. I mean, that's the other option. 
with you can, influence. You're only allowed to use the power for good. Uh, I deleted <laughs> some of my early tweets uh, back when I first started getting somewhat larger because I went back to me circa 2011, 2012, and it turned out that I viewed Twitter back then as what it kind of is, a way to complain to companies when you feel that they have wronged you in some way. And I was so whiny and so entitled and so obnoxious. And I still am all of those things, but now I try to do it at least slightly more constructively. Uh -huh. So part of part of your feeling of having authority, like having authority in a space, I mean, you are a influencer. Again, I'm going to put that in air quotes. Um, but it's, uh, you know, you have authority in this space, in the cloud world. People I have authority because I so said so. And as a white dude, I have a wind at my back, uh, the wind of privilege at my back. So I'm my failure mode winds up with a board seat and a book deal. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's so nice terrible. So terrible. Oh, I can't imagine you being on a board. That would be an interesting <laughs> I made scenario. the joke on Twitter the other day about uh, my 10-year plan is to get a seat on Amazon's board. And just watching the blood drain from people's faces when they read that was, oh, it was I am, I am not going to, I am not going to place any bets on that. I think it's totally plausible. And and this is this is an interesting relationship you've had with AWS over the years, right? Over the last few years. I've known you to kind of have to go back and forth and and talk to them about, you know, perhaps they were interested in hiring you at one point and then oh, yeah. you had you were going to be constrained perhaps about your newsletter and so that that back and forth was an interesting uh, display of authority or no authority or well that's can you a talk great a example. About I, that? wrote, I wrote a blog post about this and that was the sort of thing that well for enough money I'll bend the knee but the problem I ran into was their 18-month post-employment non-compete. It would have been a mm. job in Seattle. And the yeah, anything that competes with Amazon for 18 months after I left, okay, so it's Amazon, not AWS, Amazon. What exactly does that leave? And it wound up being incredibly overbroad. And I didn't want to constrain my options that way. It the offer was good, but not that good, if it yeah. makes sense. I mean, again, sure, if you're if you're talking enough money where I wouldn't have to work for those 18 months whatsoever, okay, great. But it was it felt like they were using their very heavy weight and power to push people around and being privileged to be able to speak out about it was one of the ways I decided no, no. Because even when I try and keep things above the belt when making fun of Amazon, I will not pull punches when it comes to their mistreatment of their people. Some of the best mm -hmm. people I know work there. And no one I've spoken to there behind closed doors and one-on-one -on -one conversations after six drinks that I've poured into them has disagreed with anything substantive I've said along those mm -hmm. lines. It's, it's a problem that I think pisses everyone off. And they lose people who would otherwise potentially be good fits, and also me, from having those policies there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll I'll get a link to that blog post and put it in the show notes because I think it's an important look into the way that you view the kind of power you have. Uh, so, and, and to kind of complete uh, the Kendall that the, the the question that Kendall asked, um, you it's clear how you feel about people having authority over you. You've talked a little bit about how you feel about having authority over other people. Uh, in that you you know you definitely listen I to their mostly feedback. Mostly try to avoid it. To be honest with you. I, yeah, there's why? a reason I have a business partner where he winds up handling the day-to-day -day management of folks, because as soon as you have direct, uh, the direct power and influence over people, suddenly you take a look at an engineer uh, working on something and the CTO stops by their desk and, and asks, just wonder something out loud. 
I wonder how many of our clicks on our website are driven by campaign X. Well, if I'm asking that to another engineer, I'm asking a question. If I'm asking that as a CTO to an engineer, there's an implied find the answer for me, even if I don't intend it to be that way. And I'm realizing that there is a divide as a result based upon a power imbalance, and I don't like it. But at this point, I've seen enough to know that there's nothing I can do to avoid it. So I have to watch what I say. Which, mm-hmm. surprise, is not the thing I'm best at. <laughs> Makes you uncomfortable at the very least, right? Yeah. It is It is a difficult yeah. thing to remember, that imbalance. Uh, I think we talk about it almost every every podcast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's a, a key part of being a leader is just being aware of that imbalance and uh, trying mm-hmm. to correct at least somewhat for Mitigate it. Mitigate it, yeah. Well, so, Corey, I want to shift gears a little bit as we come up close to the end of time here. Um Outside of work, well, gosh, does does tweeting all day long feel like work? That's the fun thing. It's weird. Every once in a while, I'll start doing something random on Twitter because I'll have this weird idea. And then I'll get someone messaging me on Twitter out of the blue of, I'm having trouble with my AWS bill. Can you help with it? Or, hey, we love what you're doing. Can we sponsor it somehow? And suddenly, my hobby turns into something that advances business. That continues to throw me for a loop every time it happens. I I get I do what I love. I mean, I built this company so that I could do the things I was good at and wanted to do and avoid most of the things I didn't want to do or didn't feel I was good at. I, I more or less built a company as a thin candy corporate shell around my crappy personality. And now that I'm starting to scale out and pass aspects of that you off to other it. people, it's going pretty well. But oh, yeah. man, is it, it's strange. It's something I don't think I'll ever necessarily view as with a huge degree of comfort. I think that, oh, there's a room full of people. And of course they report to me. By the time you start having that perspective on things, I strongly believe it warps you unless you're extremely cognizant of the impact that you're, that it has on you and the words that you use have on other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and, think it's hard not to become an asshole in that position. And Go in ahead, addition Rachel. to the, in addition to the, the, you know, thing that used to be your fun thing to, to tweet and it's still to some degree a fun thing. Do you have hobbies outside of this work world that aren't about AWS bills? Uh, I know you're getting a little bit into stand-up comedy. Is that something you're doing for your own fun or is it an extension No, I mostly fly to Seattle every few months, rent out a bar there and make fun of stand-up, uh, making fun of cloud computing companies for an hour. <laughs> So I do other things here and there that dabble. I spend an awful lot of time on um, basically raising a child. I build mechanical keyboards. I play piano. I do all kinds of weird things that people don't necessarily associate with uh, the public brand image of what I do. But that's also largely to some extent intentional, where the things that I do that I enjoy, that, that I view as like the real me, not all of that is for public consumption. If, if I spend four hours in the kitchen cooking something, that's not something I want to live tweet because it's Twitter. It's not Instagram. And well, here's my food today is not the most interesting thing I have to say. No, making fun of an Amazon service release is the most interesting thing I have to say today. So I'm going to stay on that brand. Hmm. Okay. That's so you don't you don't want to talk about the things that interest you that are outside of that stuff. Not usually so. I mean, there's always things that I find fascinating. I mean, I, I get to see the world through brand new eyes when now that I have a two and a half year old, uh, we are working our way through the Netflix back catalog of the Puss in Boots uh, children's show. <laughs> and honestly, I don't know what they're going to do with that blood wolf uh, coming back. So that's going to be fascinating. And it's I, I get to see the world through her eyes. And that's that's an absolute blast. And honestly, that's one of the 
honestly, that's one of the only times that I get to put all the work stuff away. Because here's the thing, when it comes to, it doesn't matter how big of an influencer you become in the world of cloud computing, toddler don't care. Toddler don't give a shit. Toddler wants her snack right now, daddy. And if you don't have that snack ready to go, well, it doesn't matter what the internet has to say. You've disappointed someone whose her, her <laughs> happiness and keeping her alive is my priority zero job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think I know the answer to this this next question that I want to ask you, which is, uh, has becoming a leader affected your personal life? And if is it positive or negative? Uh, I think that largely you're becoming a leader from what I'm hearing is has been a lot about you understanding yourself better and what motivates you and what what you're good at, uh, what you like to do. Uh, and I think anybody finding that sort of thing out and applying it is a positive thing. Would you tend to agree? Do you have some sort of exciting circumstances about that? Whenever I travel for client work, and there's a lot of it, I'll periodically say, all right, I have nothing going on this evening, so I'm in town X. Uh, anyone here want to grab a drink? And very often, no one responds. So I'm sitting there alone in a hotel bar, drinking and having a snack and wondering if, yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors, but I'm still the same profoundly lonely person I was growing up. And that's not necessarily true, but in those moments, it's it helps keep you grounded. It's sort of a, a memento mori that I get to carry with me in those hmm. moments. And I don't think people see that. I don't think people want to see that necessarily. You don't want to think about performers. And to some extent, I am a performer mm -hmm. of going home and having to take out the garbage. And the sad clown. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Very, yeah, very apt. I am the sad clown sometimes. And being able Aww. to reconcile that with the very public, very visible other work that I do is a bit of a balancing act. But, you know, it's an interesting problem. Yeah. And again, I think that having understood yourself, those things about yourself has probably done a lot to help you suffer that loneliness without being too affected by it. Like moving on to the next thing, you know that uh, you've, you've got you've got something there and it's not just you sitting in a bar by yourself uh, drinking alone. Generally not. No. <laughs> OK. Uh, Kendall, do you have any more questions? Uh, are, are coming. I don't down think so. The wire. I, I do intend to go back. You, you had a little bit of a long pause between us asking you what was your best leadership trait and answering. And I just want you to know ahead of time that I intend to go back and edit that into a much, much longer pause so that uh, <laughs> people assume you couldn't think of anything positive to say about yourself. Three and uh, a half minutes, I expect. <laughs> just right, uh, absolute silence in between and so uh, no, I, I think a I'm lot good. of people already know this but um where can people find you on the internet uh twitter's the easy one quinny pig q u i double n y pig and of mm -hmm. course last week in aws.com is where i keep most of my rotating cavalcade of cynical sarcastic and analytic thought lordship Awesome. And are you appearing uh, as a stand-up comic anywhere in the next month or so? That is currently not in the cards, although okay. I am speaking loudly and publicly about All other right. things. Okay. Well, people can <laughs> check that out on your website, and I will include Twitter handle in the show notes and, of course, that blog post that we talked about earlier. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate you, you know, uh, coming along with us while I'm, I'm at least my head is full of goo and I'm not exactly at my best today, but I was looking forward to talking with you and I'm glad you joined us. Yeah, thanks, Corey.